Welcome to the Rooted in Wellness as We Age podcast. I'm your host, Christina DeFranco, the founder of Rooted Tree Wellness Studio. I am a movement specialist for mature bodies with a background in psychology and kinesiology. My life's mission is to help reduce pain, improve quality of life, and increase independence as we age. We will be exploring various facets of wellness with myself and special guests to get to the root of what makes us well. Welcome to episode four of Rooted in Wellness as we age. I'm so excited to have you listening and joining us today because we are talking about one of my favorite topics, which is fascia and how we can work with fascia to understand pain in the body. So if you're watching on video, this is actually my myofascial certification right behind me, but it's one of my absolute favorite topics to dive into and explore. So today we're going to go into a little bit about what fascia is because maybe you've literally never heard of it before and how we can use techniques to work with fascia to ultimately reduce pain and improve our quality of life because that's what we're here to do. So let's dive in first to what exactly is fascia. Well, it's a connective tissue and it covers you from head to toe. That's right. Even if you may have never heard of it before, it's all over you. (laughs) So fascia is a thin layer of connective tissue that surrounds and holds so many vital processes in the body in place. It holds every organ, every blood vessel, bone, nerve fiber, and muscle in place and keeps them safe. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more. But there's two main types of fascia that you should be aware of. Our first one is superficial fascia. So superficial fascia lays just beneath your skin, your epidermis right here. Underneath there's fascia. So if you kind of place one hand on your other forearm, you're just going to wiggle it around. You're moving skin, but ultimately you're moving the superficial fascia that lies just beneath the skin. Then on the other hand, we have our deep fascia or what we call myofascia. And myofascia stands for myo, meaning muscle, and your fascia, the connective tissue. So within your myofascial, it surrounds every single individual muscle, as well as each muscle bundle, as well as each muscle fiber. So let's take a moment to break that down a little bit more. You have your muscle, like let's just say your bicep muscle in your upper arm, okay? Within your bicep muscle, you have multiple little muscle categories or kind of encasing. So it's separated into little muscle bundles. And this is so not every single muscle fiber has to fire to use your bicep. The body loves to conserve energy. It doesn't want to work harder than it has to. So if you're lifting a pen, it doesn't want to fire every single muscle in your bicep to lift the pen. That's way too much effort. So instead, it's going to just fire a few of those muscle bundles, but it gets even deeper because within those muscle bundles, it's just a singular muscle fiber, just one muscle fiber. And that is also wrapped in myofascial. So there's so many different layers playing into this. And the myofascia is what we're really going to look at today in terms of recovery and how we can work with the fascia to feel like our best selves. So now that you know a little bit about what fascia is, it's important to understand what fascia does. And there's two main categories of things 
that fascia does. One is connection and one is protection. So when we look at connection, it's important to really start to understand that the fascia provides a framework for the whole body. Like I said, head to toe, you are covered in fascia. And fascia is actually an information highway. So it allows all of these nerves and blood cells to pass through and communicate so that your brain and your body are all working in connection together. It also helps connect bone and muscle so that you can create force transmission. So force transmission, let's say you're lifting that pen or maybe something heavier like a bag of groceries, force needs to be transmitted in order to help you lift that bag of groceries. So your fascia is communicating to allow you to do that. So it's a huge communicator, it encases, attaches, separates so many important structures within us. And then on this side, we have protection. So it's also a super protector for the body. Not only does it fill space to make sure we are strong and pliable and we can move, it also provides support, provides protection. And like I said, it houses your nerves and blood cells that ultimately are required for communication. It also houses immune cells and stores your fat cells, which is your adipose tissue. Now, there's this kind of like fear of fat, which is not true. You need fat to survive. So that can be a whole different episode, but it's important to realize that when we say fascia stores fat, that's such a helpful and necessary function for the body. It also provides some great insulation, which helps us maintain homeostasis so we can regulate body temperature and never get too hot or too cold, even though sometimes it may feel like it. So now let's start to think about, okay, we know what fascia is, we know what fascia does, but what exactly is fascia? So I told you it was a connective tissue, but what is it made up of? So it's made up of three primary things. We have fibers, we have cells, and we have ground substance. So let's start with fibers. So there's three main fibers that compose fascia. You have your collagen, your elastin, and your reticular fibers. So reticular is not a type of fiber within fascia that we talk about a lot in terms of pain and recovery because it's most abundant around organs. So we don't have to concern ourselves too much. It's quite scientific. You're getting into a lot there, but we can look at collagen or elastin. So collagen is predominantly for structure. So if you've ever heard of collagen, oftentimes people will say, take collagen to make your skin tight. And so the reason why they say that is because collagen provides structure to the fascia. So that can, in a way, I suppose, reduce the appearance of wrinkles. So that's a one way you may have heard it before and not even realize that really what we're talking about is fascia. And then the second one is elastin, and that's used for elasticity. So again, let's go back to our example of the bicep, right? Our bicep needs to have structure so it stays in place, but it also needs to have elasticity. It has to be able to move so that you can contract and extend so that the muscle can work and lift a load and perform the activity or task you need it to. So these fibers are crucial and they're the main makers of your fascia. 
Next, we have cells. So cells are just as crucial as any other part that makes up the fascia, and there's a few different types of cells. So we're gonna introduce three today. The first cell is a fibroblast. A fibroblast helps lay down the collagen and elastin that we just talked about. So those fibers, they need to be laid down in the body, especially if we're having a really heavy thing that we're lifting, our body needs to adjust to the load. We need to have more collagen or more elastin or repair the elastin or collagen that was used. So in order to do that, we use fibroblast. Then we also have myofibroblasts, which are similar, but they specialize in wound healing. So if there's a direct wound, your myofibroblasts will come in as the cells to help repair that. And then lastly, we have fascicides. Those are your immune cells as well as your adipocytes. And this really helps to facilitate the hydration of the fascia, which is super important. And we're gonna get into that next with our ground substance. So our ground substance is 60% water. Yes, you heard me right. And one thing we're gonna talk about is hydration because if you think about it, your fascia covers head to toe, as I've mentioned many times, and if it's 60% water, think about how much water we need to intake each day to maintain healthy fascia. So keep that in mind because it's gonna come into play later on, but also ground substance is made up of proteins and glycoaminoglycans. And this really allows for the slide and glide of tissues within the body. And this really is considered the kind of gel or fluid-like substance between the fibers and cells. So the ground substance is kind of thought of as like this gel-like sticky stuff in between the different fibers and cells that really facilitate the hydration. Because if you think about it, if it was all dried up, how painful would that be? Like if you rubbed your forearm, there would be like no movement. So that fluid, that ground substance is what allows for that slide and glide, that movement of your hand over your forearm without pain. So we're going to be talking about how all of those things come into play when we do talk about pain and how the ground substance, whether through hydration um, or other factors, can really be impacted. So when we look at the fascia, specifically looking at that ground substance, what it's really important to take into consideration is something called the thixotrophic effect. So basically what this means is that the more sedentary we are, the more the ground substance becomes this thick, gel-like substance, which creates more friction ultimately in the body, basically less slide and glide. When we do more movement, it becomes a little bit more gel-like and a little bit more fluid and allows us that ability to move easier. So I like to think of it like this. Let's say you go to sleep, okay? What's the first thing your body craves when you wake up in the morning? Like without thinking, what's the first thing your body automatically does? Stretches. Whether you point your toes or you reach your arms out or maybe take a stretch, it wants to stretch. Why is that? Because the fascia is stiff. It feels dehydrated because there's been sedimentation for six, seven, eight hours, depending on how long you sleep. So if you think about that in terms of pain, the more sedentary we are, the more stiff or more 
thick this ground substance becomes and the fascia cannot move, cannot slide and glide as easier, which will result in an increase in stiffness and in pain, as well as reducing mobility if you're quite sedentary for a long time. So think about that when you wake up in the morning, how the body craves movement. That's your body every single day, and it's your body throughout the day. Think about if you have a desk job or if you're sitting on the couch watching TV for too long, right? You need to have these breaks of movement so that the fascia can be hydrated, so that the fascia can feel good. So when we look at fascia, we're really starting to think about healthy versus unhealthy fascia. So healthy fascia really means that we are able to stretch and move without restriction. We're feeling good, very minimal pain. And what that looks like is something called organized crimping, which may sound funny, but it's basically just like a network of fibers that are very organized, laid properly out. I like to think about it like if you had an elastic band around your wrist and you stretched it out and then let it go, it would go back to its original shape. So healthy fascia is gonna do that, whether you stretch or you contract a muscle, as soon as it's done working the way you need it to, it's gonna go back to its original shape because of the organized crimping, the healthy fascia. Now, on the other side, we have unhealthy fascia. So this is usually disrupted or damaged fascia, and this is what leads to pain or restricted range of motion. So if you ever had like a frozen shoulder, you can't lift your arm overhead, or maybe you can't reach too far, that's usually a restriction in range of motion. And that typically means that there's disruption or damage within the fascia. And instead of a beautiful organized network of those collagen and elastin fibers, they're all mixed up and they're kind of intertwined with each other, usually because of some kind of trauma or injury or sedation. So we're gonna talk a little bit about how to get healthy fascia, how we got unhealthy fascia, and kind of what that looks like moving forward in our lives. So when we think about unhealthy fascia, one of the most common questions is why? Well, why is my fascia unhealthy, right? And there's so many different factors that come, can come into play. It can be acute injuries, so like an actual physical trauma, if you broke something, if you rolled something. It could be excessive repetitive motion. So if you have a job where you have to do the same thing day in, day out, over and over again, I like to think about my grandmother who worked in a factory. Like that is a excessive repetitive motion, doing the same thing day in, day out. And without proper recovery, which I know she didn't have, which I know she didn't do back in those days, you're creating unhealthy fascia because it's trauma to the body. This can also be decreased blood flow. Naturally through aging, the fascia can become a little unhealthier, but there's lots of ways to rectify that, so don't let that stop you. It can be an overcompensation. So let's say you injured your hip or your hip's been acting up, and so you put more emphasis on the other hip to help you cope in your day-to-day -day life. Well, that's going to disrupt the pattern of the fascia. Can also be inflammation or dehydration. Like I talked about, your ground substance is made up of 60% water. If you're dehydrated, your fascia is going to become unhealthy. 
can also be caused from scarring. Um, so a lot of times people, you may have heard, like if you've had a past injury, oh, there's a lot of scar tissue there. If you've ever been to like a physio or a chiro, they may say, oh, there's a lot of scar tissue there. I was told that a lot with injuries when I was young and doing a lot of sports. Oh, at ankle, a lot of scar tissue. And so that can create unhealthy fascia. So knowing all that, we're going to look at what that means for us as people who have lived their lives and most definitely have some form of unhealthy fascia. The good news is, and this is the part I want you to really like remember here, is that each year, every single year, half, half of the collagen fibers in your body are replaced. So if you think about having unhealthy fascia, over half of the collagen fibers that make up that unhealthy fascia are replaced each year. So if you did work on the body to help with that unhealthy fascia, in a year's time, you could feel significantly better. You could significantly reduce your pain. And fascia is extremely able to adapt and change to stimulus right so there's a lot of different things that we can take into consideration here and i don't tell you these things about fascia or what fascia is or about having unhealthy fascia to scare you it's more of an awareness because as soon as we know these things we can work towards becoming healthier so if you want to know how to identify if your fascia is healthy or not a few ways you can do that is one just kind of feel out the slide and glide. Like if you roll your hand over your forearm, if it moves nicely, <laughs> nice and smooth, then that is fairly good slide and glide. It's probably a healthy fascia point. For me, if I get a back massage, I have some unhealthy fascia in my back. If a massage therapist rolls over my back, I will feel the muscle moving underneath of their hand, like quite literally like a band or a ribbon of muscle. It doesn't slide and glide nicely, it's thick. <laughs> and so there's definitely some unhealthy fascia encasing that muscle. So those are really good signs to look out for. Also, if your muscles are pliable. So for example, like if you pinch your forearm, you can see it's pliable. Like I can lift the skin off of my forearm which means it's pliable. So again, some healthy fascia. If you have really, really rigid muscles and they're not moving and you can't lift the skin up, you may be looking at some unhealthy fascia. Again, these are just suggestions, just ideas, just things to increase your awareness. Another way is efficient force transmission. So if you're trying to lift something and you can't lift it, no, it should be reasonable. Like I'm not saying go out and try to lift <laughs> 200 pounds and see if you can do it if you've never lifted 200 pounds before but let's say you're really struggling on one arm to lift the bag of groceries but your other arm can lift the bag of groceries well you may have some unhealthy fascia in the arm or the side that feels more difficult we also talked about range of motion if you can't lift your arm overhead or you have a restricted lift on one side whereas the other side feels really good well the side that has trouble probably has some unhealthy fascia so it's really important to start to think about these things. Um, if we look a little bit more medically and you really want to talk to a medical professional about this, I do recommend it. Any kind of obstruction of fluid or cells or nerves or blood vessels also is a great signifier of unhealthy fascia because 
as we talked about, one of the main functions of fascia is communication. So if the blood vessels aren't flowing properly, or if the cells aren't doing their jobs, if the nerves aren't communicating, well, there could be some fascia that's preventing that. So again, you would have to talk to a medical professional about that, but it's just something to think about and be aware. So when we talk about those varying situations that can have caused or create or signify unhealthy fascia, well, how can we then benefit from working on our fascia, which we're gonna get into, like how do we actually work on the fascia? But what are some of those benefits then? Well, it's directly the opposite of what we just talked about. There's less tissue stiffness. There's an increased range of motion. Your vascular function is better. Your blood flow is better. Oftentimes there's a lot of reduced stress because fascia work is designed to drop you into your parasympathetic nervous system, that state of rest and digest. So reduce stress as well as reduce pain. Can enhance recovery, meaning if you go out and mow your lawn, the next day you might be less sore because your recovery time is now better with healthier fascia. And it also alleviates muscle soreness and fatigue. And one of my favorite aspects of myofascial work and the myofascial kind of recovery process is that it can increase your pressure pain threshold. So what is that? Essentially a pressure pain threshold means that if you press on your arm really, really hard, at some point your body is going to signify through your Golgi tendon, which is in your fascia, it's going to signify to your central nervous system, which goes to your brain, that there's a really heavy load coming down on your forearm. We need to relax these muscles so we can absorb more pressure so that you don't injure something. So then the central nervous system, the brain, sends back the signal to the muscles around where you're creating pressure to soften, to relax, so that it can absorb even more pressure. And the more you do this, the more you increase that pressure pain threshold. So you'll have less injury, less pain over time. So that's a little bit more of a complex topic and we can definitely get into that a little bit deeper in another episode if it's interesting to you guys. But it's really important to note there's so many benefits to working on creating healthier fascia. And these are just a few. So let's talk about exactly how do we work on the fascia? How do we make it healthier? Well, I want to start off by saying that there's a lot of different ways to work on fascia. My specialization is in myofascial release, which means we use myofascial balls to help do a self-massage technique that can work on the fascia. You can also do myofascial work with manual practitioners. So physiotherapists sometimes do it, some chiropractors do it, massage therapists work with fascia. So there's a lot of different ways, active release techniques, um, osteopathy sometimes does fascia work. There's a lot of different avenues to explore fascia, but the way in which I teach it in a yoga setting and in my certification is through myofascial balls. So again, it's a self-massage technique and there's various ways in how you can use the balls in your everyday at-home life to help reduce pain and improve that fascia so that we can shift it into a healthier state. So I wanna talk a little bit about the things to be mindful of if you're doing myofascial work. The first thing is that less is more. Oftentimes, 
there's like no pain, no gain. Have you ever heard that saying? No pain, no gain, push harder. That is not the case with fascia. With fascia, less is more. We're not trying to break up scar tissue. We're not trying to like dig in there and get it out. It shouldn't be painful. In fact, we often use a discomfort scale. So not a pain scale. We're not even reaching pain. We're on a discomfort scale. And within that scale, we're only reaching a six to seven out of 10. So if you reach 10 out of 10 on a discomfort scale, you're at pain. <laughs> okay, so we don't even want to reach pain. We just want to reach slight discomfort because obviously we're pressing on some sore areas. So because of that, there is discomfort, but only a six out of 10 on your own discomfort scale. We need to be really mindful not to work into any kind of nervy sensations. So that can be like a tingling or a numbness or a stinging or a radiating sensation. So if you're working on your forearm, you're starting to feel it up in your neck, you're probably touching a nerve area. And we wanna avoid that, especially if you're doing it on your own and you're not under any kind of supervision of a medical professional, just make sure to be extra cautious. So it's not to scare you, it's just things to really be mindful of. The other thing is we don't wanna work on flared areas. So if you suffer with chronic pain or if you have an area that's currently injured or inflamed or swollen, we wanna avoid those areas. This is a recovery technique. It's not to work on active injuries or open wounds at all. The other thing is to use the breath to help your myofascial release. So as I mentioned, one of the most beneficial areas of myofascial release is the stress reduction on the body, emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of the things, you name it. And so we want to shift into that parasympathetic state. And in order to do that, we have to include the breath with the ball technique. And that will show you the most optimal results. And the last thing to be mindful of is this is not a replacement for medical care. If you're struggling with something, if you're like, oh, this bicep is killing me, I'm just gonna roll the ball on it. And if in a few days you're not feeling any better, you need to seek medical help. So just keep in mind that the real objective or intention behind sharing some of this myofascial information with you is to just give you more knowledge, right? One, you have the ability to learn more about fascia, learn more about myofascial balls and myofascial release so that you can improve your fascia at home, but also even as an advocacy tool for you, right? It gives you more knowledge and understanding and information about how to talk about your own healthcare and your own body with your own healthcare team. So I do wanna mention that I have a full course on myofascial release and myofascial ball work. So if this is something that you're interested in exploring further, um, please feel free one, just to email me to see if you're a good fit, to see if this is something you'd be interested in. So hello at rootedtreewellnessstudio.com. That's my direct email, so I'm happy to answer any questions for you. But also in our show notes and in the description of the podcast and podcast video episode, I will have the link to the course if you'd like to try it. It's a six week course and essentially, or sorry, it's a four week course, but you have access for six weeks and it's different techniques for the full body, your face, your jaw. If you have TMJ, I work with a lot of students with TMJ, back pain, shoulder pain, chest, everywhere in the body, the glutes, the hips, the knees, 
I want to be mindful to also tell you we don't ever work directly on joints. So we're not working on the knee joint itself. We're working on the muscles that surround the knee joint to, again, work on making that fascia healthier so it's not pulling the knee joint and creating pain. So we go through all of that in the course, but you can definitely check that out if you want to. The links will be there. And of course, email me if you have any questions at all. It was such a pleasure to talk to you guys about fascia today. It is one of my absolute passions and some of the most mind-blowing information if you've never heard it. So maybe re-listen to this episode if you need to. If you're listening to the podcast, maybe check out the video version um, because I'll definitely be throwing up some different images and some visuals to help you. So if you want to dive into it a little deeper, check out the video option as well. And I thank you guys so much and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Rooted in Wellness as We Age podcast. If you're interested in learning more, trying out a class, or asking any questions, feel free to connect at www.rootedtreewellnessstudio.com. Email hello at rootedtreewellnessstudio.com or check us out over on Instagram at rootedtreewellnessstudio. Thank you for listening and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great day.